0: through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story this is the point
1: how does it feel for a lawmaker to be able to focus on work without fear of disruption i talked to juniors ho who witnessed the changes from chaos to order in hong kong's local legislature and how to move away from the heightened tensions and uncertainties the world is seeing. former thai prime minister opposite Vecha Chiva, gives me his unique perspective. Welcome to The Point, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. Hong Kong's Legislative Council, LegCo, held 49 meetings last year, and unlike in the past, there were no unruly scenes. It led a LegCo member to proclaim that the filibuster, abuse of rules, and legal procedures are no longer in existence. What led to this change? has hong kong deviated from its journey towards greater democracy in our special series celebrating the 25th anniversary of hong kong's return to chinese rule i talked with juniors ho who is also former president of the law society of hong kong and current chair of the torn rural committee he was stabbed during the turmoil in 2019 but has since recovered welcome to the point. How do you look at this critical juncture, right as Hong Kong was going to celebrate 25th anniversary of its return to Chinese rule, that the situation is brought under control, stability is back in the city. How, how do you feel at this moment? What is the atmosphere in the in the society right now?
0: Well, I believe majority of the population in Hong Kong. Um, is looking forward to a new change uh for the last five years it it, it, it has nothing to do with the um kerry lam's uh, governance uh, uh, as a whole or well she she's not really the only one to be blamed about the downside of hong kong that we had gone through in fact uh, we, we all accept that hong kong is a metropolitan city it has been subject to a lot of foreign influence so uh I think uh, 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 our uh, existing um, chief executive had already um, demonstrated her ability um, to her utmost in you know, order to overcome all the, pro- all the problems. However, it's not just a simple one. So that, that's why we need the central government's input and eventually it came in at the right time. Um, and secondly, apart from the 2019 uh, riotous events uh we also had gone through a terrible uh a worldwide uh, pandemic now it, that matter just, did not just happen in hong kong it just happened the whole uh, affects the whole world so all these sort of the bad feelings um uh, were really troubling the population in hong kong at large somehow we we we, we on front we now uh, look forward to seeing the new term of the government to bring us the new hope especially. We're also expecting the, the central people's government's leader coming to Hong Kong and to grace us good luck, good fortune, and also good big present. Uh, you know that we the border has been subject to very tight restrictions uh, for the last uh, two and a half years. People in Hong Kong would really expect, uh, really hoping um, very, very hard for opening up of the border so that, you know, people can commute uh, across the border much more easier and seeing the relatives and friends and resuming the normal life uh, as soon as possible. Now, in terms of the general public, of course, the security, the law and order is also back in force. Um, the, the so-called the um, uh, large scale um, general damage, criminal damage or assaulting peoples, um, which would no longer happen but bearing in mind the fact that we, we should not just be overlooking anything or any mishap that may happen and in fact as some say some some, some people some views as is that um uh, despite the apparent uh, tranquility things happening behind and, and and behind the scene is pretty much uh, vigorous and one should not just uh, overlook it I, I i tend to err on the safety sign and let's not be complacent about the situation. Let's not be careless about the situation. The apparent situation seems restoring back to normal. And let's not forget that some people, you know, hideous character hiding in somewhere in in the dark corner may just try to seize any opportunity to cause a turmoil and, and upset the situation in Hong Kong. That's something that we need to bear in mind
1: we've all seen the whole world saw in live streaming how the Legislative Council was being attacked right was being ransacked and uh, horrible things were taking place in that chamber so how has things been going these days I understand uh, for instance filibustering or other kind of malicious conducts are much, much less, even nowhere to be seen. Is that the case? And what is the impact of that change to the livelihood of Hong Kong people, to the governance of the region?
0: Uh, the filibuster, all that sort of thing, abuse of the rules and procedures are no longer in existence. I think, you know, I can say it for sure that um, all these are, are, are just in the history museum uh, is no longer happening in Hong Kong because we have already um, um, refined the rules and procedure whereby, uh, even if there would be any, you know, big uh, malicious uh, opposition uh, parties that happen to be in Nashville, they could not just uh, have any chance to abuse the procedures because it's quite uh, uh, watertight now. Uh, so um, in in. As such, the efficiency of uh, the lawmaking uh, is very, very much enhanced uh, as opposed to what we had gone through. Uh, you, you, the general public had witnessed uh, it, uh, what 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 the previous term did um, is no longer um the phenomenon in in the logical
1: how is it possible for people with different voices different opinions for their voices to be heard and their suggestions be incorporated in the legislative and governance process well
0: uh i think um um in general and also in long term we i, I still believe that a democracy and um, development uh, democratic development uh would still continue to strive uh, for and and strife and and uh, uh, for flourishing uh, 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 future, and there's no doubt about it. In fact, the Central People's Government has already been reassured uh, to the public um, uh, in Hong Kong that uh, the situation uh, under the Basic Law will continue to, uh, to to have one country, two system. We we continue to to uh, lead on our capitalistic, um lifestyle. Now, um, in fact, on the other hand, uh, the freedom of speech and freedom of movement, all this constitutionally protected rights are continued to be enjoyed by the people in Hong Kong. I don't think that, you know, um, because of the um, uh, we need to adjust the situation from the chaos back into the normal, it, within this short period of time, of course, there would be some stranger measures to be uh, introduced and adopted. And that is well understandable.
1: Now we're going to the second half, the next 25 years. How do you look at the prospect there? And uh, what do you think uh, is in store for Hong Kong now that you have the national security law, now that you have the patriots governing Hong Kong, you have a new legislative, uh, you have a new chief executive with his new and de- announced cabinet and the central government fully backing and fully trusting this region. What do you think is going to happen next for Hong Kong?
0: I believe Hong Kong should really grab um, the opportunity well, especially in, in the context of uh, the fourth, 14th um, five year plan uh, that the motherland is now undergoing and uh, under which Hong Kong has been destined to um, set up uh, uh, herself to become the major center for several um, chapters uh, one of which uh, is about the um, uh, advanced technology um, and also innovation I I fully support this one and in fact the Hong Kong should not just dwell on too much time in uh, uh, over politics however the politics in Hong Kong as I um, as I said you know we, we have I would not say total waste. In fact, Hong Kong is, is a perfect um, laboratory. It's the testing ground for a new concept here. As soon as it's proven to be right, and then those concepts may be borrowed by the mainland as a, um, as, as, as a very good experience to, 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 to continue to try on, on, the, on the mainland. Now, having said all that, I, I, I trust that the next 25 years will be crucial in fact, we should not just uh, uh, dwell on too much in politics. I think you know that is already good enough. We have accumulated sufficient data and experience, and that can be well analyzed and, and imitated. For the good thing, we can absorb. Uh, for the bad thing, those could be eliminated. Now, apart from that one, I believe uh, for the next 25 years, we have to eye on not only the innovation, the technological uh, development, we also try to think of how to assimilate Hong Kong as an S.A.R. with the Xinjiang as a um, as special economic zone, S.E.Z. So these two major cities, if somehow uh, could be amalgamated to, to make a, a bigger city, so-called the metropolitan Hong Kong, uh, that would add value not only to China as, as a whole, but also uh, add value to the regional uh, development in, in whole Asia. I also have a dream about uh, uh, the role that Hong Kong could play out um, in the near future. Uh, now, we, we know that um, um, United Nations has been founded and set up um, its um, headquarters in New York for, for many years already. Would it be just the right time for United Nations to set up a regional headquarters? If so, where? Of course, Asia is. Is 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 a perfect location, <coughs> perfect region because the next the, this century is belonged to Asia. I think uh, within yeah. amount of all the contenders um, for for this uh, for building a regional headquarters, Hong Kong should um, should be um, should stand a better chance. I I That's, look forward to you one yeah. day. Hong Kong That's will a, also yeah. be able to. Find, uh, um, provide a place for United Nations to set up its regional headquarters here.
1: Thank you so much, Junius Ho, for joining us from Hong Kong. You're welcome. Many thanks to Junius Ho. And after this break, a former Thai Prime Minister Apisit Vecha Chiva makes a compelling case for emerging and developing economies to have a greater voice in global fora stay with me
2: we all enter this world with a universal greeting <laughs> <laughs> we then learn to speak
3: <laughs>
2: <Bonjour>. <laughs> though our languages cultures and traditions may differ we still share one thing in common we have hope for humanity and I've the world Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world. Making room for all opinions and seeing events
0: from more than one side. This is The Point.
1: China and Thailand share strong cultural affinities, which partly explains the robust growth of bilateral ties. But the pace of cooperation could be faster. Former Thai Prime Minister Abhisit Vejjajiva shared with me his take on this relationship in an exclusive interview last week. I also took the opportunity to get his insights on what the key is for the world to move away from heightened tensions and uncertainties. <music> When State Council and Foreign Minister Wang Yi met uh, the Deputy Prime Minister and Foreign Minister this time in April, they mentioned the construction of the China-Thai rail link, which you said has been progressing uh, not as fast as you would have wished. Um, But what is the significance of that? Can we finally look forward to the rail link linking the two countries finally?
3: Well, the project in Thailand is is proceeding. Um, It's just um, slower than uh, many had anticipated. But I think the desire for connectivity is certainly there. You know, China has the Belt and Road um, Initiative, ASEAN has its connectivity agenda, um, it all adds up. Um, and, you know, I've always said that whatever agreements you may have on paper concerning um, the exchange of goods, trade and services and so on, physical connectivity will be the facilitator to make uh, the agreements turn things into concrete uh, exchanges and benefits so i think um, there is support Um, we just may have to make sure that uh, the management of the project uh, can be efficient and uh, can be more uh, speedy
1: well people may ask why is such a big deal to have this rail link i mean you have freight cargo you have shipping for instance why the emphasis on this um, train connection
3: well, you know, we, we know that uh, for many goods and services um, going through, um, you know, by land, um, whether it's by rail or by roads, um, can be uh, more convenient, uh, can perhaps get um, the goods and services um, in time uh, better. And of course, uh, just connecting up, uh, allowing people also to travel um, between these countries uh, can only help um, cement and enhance the already strong
1: relations. When you were in office, what was your um, biggest takeaway as to how countries can best improve or cement their relationship uh, or develop their relationship with another country? If you were to, hi- to recommend, to highlight, to suggest something, what would it be, for instance, for, for China and its Southeastern Asian countries to come together and make a bigger difference for peace and development?
3: I think uh, the important thing is to identify all the common interests. And there are so many aspects of uh, common interests between any two countries, but of course, uh, between Thailand and China in in particular. Identifying those areas and working sincerely to achieve uh, a better outcome in those areas, I think is key. Um, There will also, of course, be uh, issues of various aspects where um, there is not complete agreement. Um, The thing is not to allow those kinds of problems to um, cloud over uh, what we could do together to achieve common interests.
1: Do you think that is the problem that the world is facing? Because right now we re- we are in a different era, right? I mean, from the time when you were uh, in office, we're seeing so many problems, so many conflicts, even direct military conflicts broken out. And then we have, uh, of course, I don't need to hide it, You know, the heightened tension between the US-led West with China and, you know, the position of many Asian countries also shifting into a more confrontational, at least that's the way it's perceived here in China. What exactly has gone wrong? Has something gone wrong, according to you, sir?
3: Um, We can, I think all of us um, everywhere can can feel that tension. And it's clear um, that because of the changing world and because perhaps of different cultural and uh, due to historical factors, differences in values um, obviously contribute to this tension. Um, The problem of course is that um, for the citizens of the world, most of their problems uh, now transform borders, are global in nature, Uh, but we have never had a good, strong global system of governance. And uh, I think, The the problem with the system of global governance is, for many countries, they feel that their voices are not yet properly represented or heard. Uh, And there are a number of powers who can then dictate um, that that system. So um, the the world needs a strong and accepted system of global governance. We need a strong system of uh, multilateral cooperation, where everybody plays by the rules, um, and um, respect countries, large or small. Um, If we can get into that mindset, into that uh, mentality, uh, with all the parties concerned, then perhaps we uh, we can move uh, away from the current situation with all this tension and conflict. Uh,
1: This year seems to be the Asian moment, right? We have uh, the BRICS summit, we have the APEC, we have the G20. Very interesting, you mentioned the culture of Asian countries, of Asian leaders. Well, not everybody, but uh, by and large, there is a sense of uh, trying to avoid t- a conflict, right? Trying to not to step over the turn, not to irritate the others, but to find commonality so that there is a certain level of harmony so that you can you know, coexist together. So what kind of input from a cultural perspective, perhaps, uh, can this Asian moment inject in the much needed way out for global governance?
3: Well, let me say first that I am um, disappointed by the degree of international cooperation uh, in the current situation. You know, with all the countries almost facing common problems, you know, economic and otherwise, uh, we don't see the kind of coming together uh, in the way, for instance, that we we saw back when there was the global financial crisis with the uh, G20 coming together and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's going to be a challenge for Asian countries that are of course hosting uh, these important meetings that, you're in, that you mentioned, uh, the of course that is uh, about to take place. But later in the year, um, APEC and G20, where APEC and G20 in particular are really primarily economic forums. But there is now a real possibility that because of the conflict um, in the Ukraine, that uh, uh, the parties that should come together at these meetings uh, will not engage with each other the way we would like them to. So I think um, the, the big homework now, I guess, is for all of us to work out a modality where um, APEC and G20 can still serve their purposes of bringing people together to to help resolve the economic problems. And if there are issues that, um, that still uh, highlight the differences, maybe in the security or, or the, in the political dimensions, being dealt with in the sidelines uh, through some form of engagement. Um, of course, everybody should be free to express uh, their views and what they feel, what's right and what's not, uh, but I think We all have a responsibility to try to engage, to make sure there is peace, uh, which is uh, a a a fundamental factor that will contribute to prosperity.
1: Another very concerning trend is the growing interference or growing presence of uh, uh, military forces military presence by countries that are not you know uh, situated in this part of the world I I don't think I need to name any specific countries or any specific army but uh, the thing is you know the kind of military um, miscalculation uh, has has markedly gone up and People are blaming China, of course, for being the initiator of the high tension because it is more, quote unquote, assertive. And uh, but you have a look at the kind of security arrangement, you know, on different layers. We have the AUKUS, we have the Quad and then we probably have the Asia Pacific version of NATO as well, kind of up in the air being discussed. How do you look at this trend?
3: Well, I won't go into specifics. But I can certainly say that what we really need is a higher degree of trust. Um, I know there are differences, clear differences between you know, the different powers viewing in each particular situation. And that, I, as I said before, may reflect um, certain values or, or culture. Um, but the point is um, there will continue to be differences and diversity in the and we should try to learn to, live, to to be able to live together despite these differences. Um, that's not gonna be helped if there are actions that create suspicions and fears more than trust. So I think trust building is probably the, the highest priority. Um, if the direct parties to the conflict, as it were, cannot do it, uh, we should try our best um, to make sure that others uh, play a role in in bringing everybody together and build trust. Um, ASEAN has always prided uh, itself on having this concept of ASEAN centrality, um, having a number of uh, platforms and forums like the ARF, uh, the East Asia Summit, and so on. Uh, And we should really make use of that uh, to build trust, first of all. Because I think if there is a higher level of trust, um, then there is less chance of miscalculations and misuse of uh, military and, and, and powers and other forces.
1: Finally, uh, later this year, there will be a very important meeting taking place in China with potential implications for countries all over the world, which is the 20th uh, meeting of uh, the Communist Party of China. Uh, what is your expectations of that party and what are you paying particular attention to?
3: Well, of course, the party's um, success has been uh, well documented, especially with the celebration of the 100-year anniversary last year. I think as the world emerges from the pandemic, um, as we face new challenges that we've already discussed uh, over the last uh, 10, 20 minutes, um, China, with her um, potential, Uh, in terms of contributions to uh, global development. Um, And of course, President Xi used the the, the word global development as an initiative to make sure that uh, we all contribute to the achievement of the sustainable development goals. Um, We'd like to see uh, uh, initiatives and directions uh, that can give us a very good idea of how China and the Communist Party would be contributing to these issues.
1: Would you be visiting China anytime soon once the restrictions are lifted? Well,
3: (laughs) yes, once the restrictions are are, are lifted, uh, I would love to be able to to visit China again.
1: Thank you so much, Sir Apisit Vechecheeva, former Prime Minister of Thailand, joining us from Bangkok.
3: It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
1: And that's it for this edition of The Point with me, Lu Xin, coming to you from Beijing. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lu Xin in Beijing. You've got the point.
2: We all enter this world with a universal greeting. With then learn to speak. Bonjour. Comment allez-vous? I estoy muy contente. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common: we have hope for humanity and the world.
3: General <coughs> Railway Company, 000. The Director 000. of the International Monetary Fund.
2: Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world.